It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast as we get to properly preview British Champions Day. Ascot is the venue. It's all live on Sky Sports Racing. As usual, I'm your host, Emmett Kennedy, alongside a man who was quiet until he appeared on the Final Furlong Podcast. And now he's Billy Five Jobs. He's the most in-demand man in racing, and rightly so. Steve Jones, welcome back to the Final Furlong Podcast, my friend. Thank you, Emmett. I told you you wouldn't be quiet for long. No, picking up nicely. So, yeah, take my hat off to you. You you, you earned your 10%. (laughs) Which uh, I am waiting for with great anticipation in my bank account any day it soon. It got stuck in the Irish Sea. Uh, that's probably what it is, yeah. It's probably a Brexit situation. Don't mention the B word. Uh, also, speaking of Billy Five Jobs, one of the most in-demand men in racing, he was covering for Tony Keenan on At The Races just the other day in terms of tipping Irish racing. He also does uh, plenty of pieces for AtTheRaces.com and you can read him every weekend in the Irish field with his excellent column. It's the return of Rory DeLarge. Good afternoon. And welcome back to the show, my friend. Always a pleasure. Uh, And always a pleasure to have you on, my man. So we get to (coughs) Rishi, Kevin and I had a discussion about Champions Day on Tuesday's Final Forlum podcast, which was ridiculous because we didn't have a clue what was going to run. We didn't really know what the state of the ground was going to be, what they were going to do at the track. But now on Thursday, we have a much closer picture of what we will get to see on Sky Sports Racing on Saturday. So, Rory, let me start with you by saying they have changed the track and there is going to be a slight change to the layout of the races. So just explain that for us a little bit. Yeah, if you're not aware already, um, they um, they mentioned about a week ago that there was a chance of using the inner course, which is the hurdles course, uh, for the round track races at the weekend, which means you've got two different courses um, in use. We've now decided that um, due to the state of the ground and standing water um, on the round course, it'll be the hurdle track that will be used. Um, for the um, the uh, long distance um, cup and the Philly and Mares race, um, so and the Champions Stakes. Uh, so you've got to bear that in mind. Um, slightly shorter distances um, for those two races. Uh, the first two races mentioned, Champions Stakes, same trip, um, but different terrain. Um, not not only have you got a different line than we've been seeing um, all season at Ascot. Um, which throws any sort of um, analysis you've done on the round track 
um, pretty much into the bin, to be honest. Uh, but this is the hurdle strike, which hasn't been watered all season. So uh, until fairly recently, the ground would have been would have been firm on the hurdle strike. Lots of rain, obviously, on the last fortnight. Um, so while the track will be heavy on the straight track uh, for those races uh, run up to and over a mile, um, the races on the round course will probably be run on, on ground that's not much worse than good to soft. Um, and there's a, there'll be a big, big difference between the two. So I could look even more stupid than normal here, but those who've been backing Adeyeb, for example, thinking, oh, it's going to be a bog, happy days, we'll back him, are now potentially screwed. Well, we're not we're unlikely to be racing on good to firm ground at the weekend. So, you know, Adey was a was an impressive winner at the at the Royal Meeting on ground that was good until the morning of the race he ran in. Uh, so given as good as soft at the moment and there's rain forecast tomorrow, there should be enough ease for a horse like him to give his running, but it's not going to be hot deep. And Steve, what's your take on this? Like, do you feel that this is the right decision from Ascot to, to make this change? And also, how is it going to affect your, your tipping for the mirror on the day? Like, how is it going to affect your punting, the fact that we're, we're going to be looking at this on a different track at Ascot? Well, I'll probably go for the Balmoral handicaps. Make <laughs> much difference to that, but uh, I think it's probably the sensible call because, after all, with stacked with Group One races, you don't want it on heavy ground. And I know that people who concentrate solely on flat racing look down their nose at anything that's remotely concerned with jump racing. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a better surface. It's not going to be a ploughed field that. Um, they seem to think that these jumpers go round on and it's not looked after as well, but uh, it's going to make it fairer. And you can see by the field sizes that um, a lot of uh, horses have turned up here when perhaps they might not have done on heavy ground or certainly not been um, encouraged to so much. So I'm eminently successful, uh, sensible and uh, the right call for me. I did like Declan Ricks's tweet. And Declan, by the way, a, a regular on the Final Forum podcast, is today making his Sky Sports Racing debut. Um, long overdue, in my opinion. And he looks very, very dapper on the telly. Uh, please don't swear, Declan. Hopefully he won't have by the time this podcast has gone out. But he, he did tweet during the week saying, everybody calm down. They're, they're going to remove the fences and the hurdles. It'll be all right. It'll all be okay. They're not going to have to pop a hurdle or a fence. I did like that tweet from him during the week. Um, we might need extra binoculars if you're actually there, but I think it's the, it's the right decision. The official going is currently heavy, as I look at, at theraces.com, and we'll begin with the Kipco British Champion Sprint Stakes, where Advertise, uh, winner of the Commonwealth Cup with Frankie Dettori and Martin Mead, is your favorite at uh, around about... I want to quote the right price so that Rory doesn't take the piss out of me. Five to one. Uh, hello, Yim Zane, 11 to two. One master who was so impressive at Paris Longchamp, 13 to two. And uh, then you're looking at Make a Challenge, Cape Byron and the Tin Man. Uh, Steve, we'll, we'll start with you. A couple of old favorites in here. Martin Mead has said that Advertise has never been in better form. Does he deserve to be favored? And actually, should he be a shorter price? I'm not so sure he should be a shorter price, but he's, he sets the standard, doesn't he? And uh, it's a race that uh, three-year-olds have done well in. We saw that last year with um, Sansa Mali. And it's interesting, the last three winners, the Tin Man, Sansa Mali, Labriza Breeze, all in there again, yet none of them are in the top five in the betting. So it, it mm. must be a deep race, mustn't it? And Advertise 
he's done fantastically well over six furlongs. I know they tried to squeeze some stamina out of him, which didn't work. So if you take those runs out when, I mean, after all, he was second to two darn hot in the Dewhurst, first run over seven furlongs. It's hardly bad, is it? But blew out in the Guineas. And if you go to his six furlong form, he's five from seven. So, yeah, he's got an incredible record and uh, looked good last time in, in the Morris de Geest. Probably not as good as the, the Commonwealth run, which was a really good effort. Beat Hello Zoom Zane and Ten Sovereigns and the like. So, yeah, he, he, he handled the softish ground in the Commonwealth Cup at Royal Ascot. So, You'd hope that he would uh, be okay on it. So I think he's got a great chance. But he's, I think it's a real deep race this, you know. It does look a deep race. And you make a really good point about the last three winners not being in the top of the betting. So where is the Steve Jones millions going to be going in the opening race? Well, it's, it's interesting because the, you can get a bit of value here. You wouldn't be surprised that Sansa Marley popped back up again, I don't think. He's oh. been off um, for a good while. He's obviously had a few problems. He finished, he only beat one in the um, uh, at Royal Ascot in the um, Diamond Jubilee. So if he came back to the form of last year when he made all on testing ground, I think that's the key with this horse. If he gets the soft ground, which um, he had last year, then I think he, he could pop up at a big price. But... I think it might be a stronger race. In fact, I've, I'm sure it's a stronger race than it was last year. I don't know. It's, it's one of those races you keep going around in circles with because there's so advertisers obviously got really strong claims, but then you think, well, some of these horses, good horses, double figure odds. So I, I just can't make my mind up at the moment. I'd, I'd say the Tin Man's the who won it a few years ago. That the grounds come for him, the grounds come for Sanzamali. If advertised handles the, the testing ground, then he's got to have a great chance. But God, it's 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 a tricky one to start with, isn't it? I think you're probably uh, worth giving this one a, a bit of a swerve. I think. Well, funnily enough, I sided with Sanzamali, and the reason was that he he won this from the front last year. He was quite a commanding winner. That Ascot record is very interesting he came into the race under a slight cloud last year as well he'd been well held by Polly Dream well held by, by the Tin Man um, but was capable of beating Harry Angel on the day at a massive price and I just thought that this is a race that's open for an upset like I, I can understand why One Master is being priced the way she is but this like one master was all about France. Like like William Haggis said that on the day, the, the entire plan had been Paris Longchamp. So this is slightly an afterthought. And if Sansa Mali can come back into this in some kind of top level form, then fourteen to one seems like a pretty fair price. So I'm gonna back you up there. Uh Rory, your thoughts on the champion sprint. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to say about the, the straight track races is that um, Ascot can divide the track up and they're using the... Oh, that's a good question. I was going to say they're using the far side. Um, I should double-check that. Um, I will, I'll will. i have a check on that while we're while um, Steve's next uh, talking. I'll dig out the, the BHA side and make sure of that. Okay, well, what, but obviously, they, what, they, can, they can split the track in two, and I reckon that when you do split the track in two, um, the, the, the draw bias is liable to be 
reversed depending on which side of the track that you're using because mm. I think you'd be better off racing close to a natural rail um, in these conditions. And if I recall last year, the, go- the going is going to be much heavier um, this time around than it was last year. It was it was on the soft side, but it, it, it's going to be a lot softer this time around. It was uh, time form I rated it as good to soft last year, and it's it's unlikely to be anything other than heavy this time around. So you're it's dangerous, always dangerous to assume that horses who handle good to soft or even soft ground will be as at home on heavy ground. Um, and that makes it uh, tricky here as well. Um, and the other thing is we'll, we'll double check which, uh, which part of the, um, which side of the straight course they're using uh, and try to, to guess a little bit regarding draw bias. Not easy to do uh, and ask it at the best of times. And sometimes, you know, the, the jockeys can ruin it by all making a beeline um, for for one side of the track or the other, when when um, what you really want to see is all the jockeys going straight. Now you can often ruin your chance of winning by by um, deciding to veer towards one side or the other and lose ground doing that. Um, so I'll, we'll double check that. But um, this is a a pretty horrible race. I, I suppose the the one horse who's who wouldn't have been in anyone's mind for this a fortnight ago and comes right into the equation now is make a challenge. Um, Who's drawn one from the um, the outside, if you like, or the stand side um, in stall 16 next to Libresa Breeze, um, and Make a Challenge has really come to himself for, De- for Dennis Hogan of late. Um, he was running in handicaps off marks in the 70s in the summer, um, stepped up to one r- really impressively at the Curra um, in a uh, the Joe McGrath handicap. Uh, at the end of September off a mark of 94, one by six lengths, which suggests that he's a fair bit better than his mark. And he proved the point by winning a listed race at the Curra last time by four and a half on heavy ground over six. So clearly conditions are going to suit him better than most. And he's a horse who's, you know, although he, he was unknown a matter of months ago, he's suddenly the form horse in the race. Um, and on the figures, he doesn't have an awful lot to find. I have real concerns about the vast majority of this field handling heavy ground, even those that have shown soft ground form before. Um, so I think that makes it tough. I, I still quite like Labrisa Breeze. He, he completely lost his form last season, lost his way, um, but he showed in his comeback at Newbury that he was back to his old form. And of course, he won this race two years ago in decent style. He needs a strong gallop. Bogey started barking, so obviously he fancies Labrisa Breeze just as well. Saying, yeah, I was just and we all know that. that's all you need to know. Uh, this is a real fairy tale story, too, by the way. He was. He oh, was bogey. Uh, well. Bogey's a fairy tale story, obviously, and we always love his contributions in the Final Furlong podcast. Uh, but the fact that this horse was Godolphin bred um, ended up being bought for six thousand five hundred pounds, and has now gone on this sensational winning run that puts him third favorite for one of the biggest sprints of the season, fourth favorite. It would be a, a absolutely classic story if Dennis Hogan manages to pull this off on Champions Day, Rory. It will be, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder when Dennis comes over whether the stewards will be taking him aside to ask him what his, his tactics are going to be because <laughs> that tends to be what happens to Dennis when he comes comes to the, uh, the UK with a runner. Um, so uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Why is um, that, by the way? I, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> um, information received. Intelligence you can take the word intelligence to mean whatever you like there. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's been a, f- a few, um, a bit of a hoo-ha in the, uh, in the summer with a number of trainers, Rona McNally being another one, uh, being pulled up. I think there were th- 
three or four Irish trainers. It's been who, reported. Who it's been reported. They they complained about it, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's been a bit of a nonsense um, as as to why Irish trainers are being pulled in, and yet you could. Well, there, do- there have there have been British trainers in the same scenario as well, but it may well be that what you have is it, it is unknown people on this side of the Irish Sea. Um, putting complaints into the BHA about other trainers who they don't trust. We've had this in the past, of course. We had, remember when Martin Pipe had his yard raided at dawn because of uh, another UK-based trainer um, telling the BHA that he was definitely blood-doping his horses, and God, if they raided I him f- in the morning, they'd find out. And it turned out there was no truth in that at all. I forgot that. The, and it was the, the raid found nothing. So, you know, it may well be that there is information here, but we don't know where it's coming from. The BHA won't reveal where it's coming from. So it's not simply a case of... Uh, you're Irish and you're obviously dodgy. Uh, and it may simply be that um, you, you've got horses who are being backed overnight. You know, horses who are being sent over, normally contesting what are very competitive races in Ireland because races are hugely oversubscribed and running in terrible races um, at some of the, uh, you know, some of the, the Midlands and the Northern tracks in the UK that are very, very weak. Um, and because they've got duck eggs next to the name, they're 20 to 1 when the market opens. And after a few pennies being thrown at them, they're suddenly into 3 and 4 to 1. Yeah. And then trainers being asked to justify the gamble when there's no gamble at all. But anyway, that's that's getting massively off the topic. And I would just um, like to say, just it's an interesting side note. And I would just like to say that there is absolutely no question that Dennis Hogan's integrity is above reproach. He's a class act and a, and a very good guy. It's just... It's frustrating that these three Irish trainers have been hauled in so many times. And it's fascinating that you bring up the Martin Pipe story because Martin Pipe was a legend and the cleanest in the game. And yet somebody wanted to try and and blacken his name. It didn't work and it hasn't worked with these Irish trainers as well. But uh, anyway, proceed. Um, Have you by any chance managed to, to get the additional information for us that you were looking for? No, I, I can't do it while I'm talking, obviously. That's just not possible. Well, multitasking can't be done. Yeah, come on, it can't, can't be done. It can't, can't be, be done. Obviously, if I'm sitting here stumbling over my words while clicking away on my laptop, that's, that's just unprofessional. Um, so, uh, we'll find, again, it's, it's a degree of guesswork. You need to look at, that, at what happened last year. And you also need to know what the jockeys are expecting. You know, we've seen races. Um, the, the Balmoral was an absolute nonsense last year, wasn't oh. it? Or the year before, or possibly both where everyone wanted to be on the same one foot of turf and the whole field sort of converged on top of each other. It was all traffic problems and you end up, you know, potentially getting a really silly result. Um, so obviously if, if, if jockeys are, are determined not to ride to the draw, then you're liable to get funny results. But in those circumstances, I'd rather be with something drawn on either wing anyway. Okay. Because they're, they're the ones least like, they're either on the right side of the track in the first place or everyone gets squeezed up and they're the ones who get a clear run up the middle. Um, so I quite like the fact that the Labrisa Breeze and Mega Challenge are both drawn um, on one side. Mega Challenge in 16 and Labrisa Breeze in 17. I'm going to go for Labrisa Breeze. As I said, um, I thought he ran a cracker after a long time off um, at Newbury um, over seven furlongs in August in the Hungerford Sticks. And I wasn't hugely fancied that day. Looked right back to his best and finishing second to Glorious Journey uh, with the likes of Sir Dancelot and Safe Voyage in behind. That's really solid form. Um, it's a little bit surprising that Safe Voyage isn't in this, actually. Mm, I thought that. Uh, given, given the grounds, but uh, you know, he's, he's a seven furlong horse, but this is going to feel a little bit like that. But La Brisa Breeze has a very, very good record at Ascot. He handles bad grounds. Um, uh, his owner has a tremendous knack of winning these big races, and given he doesn't have a huge string of horses. Um, and it looks like he's been laid out for this race. He's only had one run all season. 
uh, despite the fact that he's a seven-year-old now. Um, Joey Haynes on board again. That'll be a big story uh, for for Joey to even to be to uh, riding a fancy horse on uh, on Champions Day. Um, and uh, similarly for for uh, Mega Challenges jockey, of course, James J Doyle, as opposed to the other James Doyle. So we got two James Doyles riding in the race. That could be confusing for uh, for pundits and commentators. Um, but if either of those um, jockeys um, manages to win the race, it will be a, a big big day for them. As I said, I'm going to go for Labrisa Breeze. I think he's a, you can get about sixteen to one about him. Um, and in a race where I wouldn't be certain that any of the market leaders will really enjoy conditions, um, you know, despite having form and soft ground before, uh, Labrisa Breeze is a better bet than most. Well, Labrisa Breeze was my original selection on Tuesday's show. Uh, be- oh, that's a good sign then. I happily always go for the one that you get off. Uh, before I before I jump ship to Sands of Mali, so I can tell you with great confidence that I will be doing a reverse forecast on Sands of Mali and Labrisa Breeze and backing them both. And you can get 18 to 1, according to At The Races. You want to change your mind by Saturday, do we? <laughs> what? Jump to a third? Since Tuesday, you've got to change it again on Saturday. So I'll be on Make a Challenge by, by, by Saturday, is that it? In fact, I'll have just back to Make a Challenge, ducked the other two, they'll finish first and second, and I'll be crying somewhere in a corner. No, I'll, I'll back at both. Least, at least you'll have what, another one for, so you can do a tricast. <laughs> I'll definitely find a TriCast. Don't you worry about that. Speaking colours for the TriCast to make an absolute fortune. Mm, uh, I, I can't. No, no. It's uh, it's Sands of Mali and um, and Labrisa Breeze. I'll take two swings at it. Um, be bringing Washington DC out of retirement for Jesus this. Jesus Christ! Just for you, poor old Washington DC. Uh, I still don't understand what they were doing with that horse. Uh, it's Sands of Mali for Steve and myself. It's. Um, uh, Labrisa Breeze I suppose for myself as well but mainly for Rory and it's definitely Rory's selection that you want to be going with uh, according to At The Races the most popular bets are Advertise 14% Make A Challenge 11% Hallo Yunzame uh, then One Master and Cape Byron so that's the current state of affairs on ATR sorry just to confirm uh, since you've been asking me to uh, the far side of the straight course is being used um Ask it of a, a nasty habit, or a BHA nasty habit of using the word far side as one word. It's beginning to wind me up a little bit. Um, yes, the far side of the track. So the true real will be with the low numbers, if that makes sense. So Sands of Mali coming out of three will be fine. Yeah, will be will be well. I'm not saying fine. I'm just saying that's where the natural real is. Whereas on the near side, with the two with the two I fancy, that's the false real. Essentially, they put in in the middle of the track. Okay. So, so, and it's up to punters to decide whether they think um, the true real is, is more of an advantage. I would say if the grind was very fast, that would definitely be true. I would say the, 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 the grind would naturally get quicker close to a, a permanent real. Um, if it's very soft, it could be one or the other. So to sum this up then, Labrisa Breeze is 17 of 17 in terms of the draw. So he Yeah, and I, I like the fact that Labrisa Breeze is next to a horse who, who, has, who has blasted off on its last couple of starts and will do so again on, on heavy grind. So it gives Labrisa Breeze a lead into the race. And if you're worried about what Kevin Blake's been talking about recently, he won't be diving off into space because there won't be any on his left-hand side. Good point. Good point. And uh, Kev was talking about that on the podcast again on Tuesday. Um, well, I say there won't be much. I wouldn't have what, thought they're using yeah. half the track and there's 17 runners. Um, the, the stalls are actually on the far side of the track. So yeah. again... Horses drawn very low will be the ones who are specifically next to a reel. But I would have thought with 17 runners across the track, there wouldn't be a huge amount 
um, between the uh, the high numbers on the uh, on the near side rail. Okay, so uh, uh, the final Fulham podcast team going for the winner of 2017's renewal, Le Brice Breeze, and uh, last year's winner in San Zamali 2018. So hopefully there's a bit of gravy to be found there for you. Whether or not we can get you gravy in the second race of the day, though, is another question entirely, because we're talking about the mighty Stradivarius, who at right now is a confirmed runner, although John Gostin is going to walk the track beforehand to confirm Frankie Dettori on board yet again uh, for the champion stare, and he is a long odds-on favorite. He's as short as two's on, four to nine on attheraces.com right now. You can, with somebody, get six to four on uh, Q Gardens, who Rishi and I were very keen on on Tuesday's show and who was super unlucky oh, I still feel sick about it is 5-1 to one for the Kipco British Champions Long Distance Cup um, Steve we've had a habit of trying to take on Stradivarius the last time he won we came to the conclusion that we wouldn't do it again and yet Kew Gardens is in opposition, and so I probably am going to take him on, which makes me look a bigger fool than usual. Uh, what's your thoughts on the big staying race of the day on Champions Day? Regarding Kew Gardens, I think the step up to two miles is going to be fine, but on the easier ground, I'm not so sure, to be honest. I, I think he's a horse that likes decent ground. And uh, if there was a bit more rain around, I know that the, obviously, as Rory said, they moved it onto the hurdles track, so it will it won't be anywhere near his testing on the round course, but it'll still be on the soft side. And uh, I'm not so sure about that for Kew Gardens. Stradivarius, we've seen him; he'd go on anything, wouldn't he? Any day of the week and over any distance, and uh, he's just been fantastic. I, I, I would I was surprised he's not shorter, to be honest. This is a thing that Rory has pointed out before, and, and I suspect that Rory's going to be proved right again on Saturday, that he'll actually probably drift again, Rory, and go off a slightly bigger price than he should. And well, he's then, certainly going to drift from four to nine. Uh, no doubt about that. You'd like to think so, um, but could he, what, what price do you see him going off on Saturday? Um, if we get um, five or six mils of rain tomorrow and John Gosden hums and has and lets him take his chance at the last minute. Um, you might not see even money, but I think you'll see pretty close to it. Five to six, ten to eleven. That'd be too big, wouldn't it? He's listen, he's, he's um, with with ideal conditions against absolute rubbish, he's he's gone from, from one to two to evens before. When he won the Goodwood Cup last year, I think he went off he certainly drifted to, to even money and, and bigger on the exchanges um, and even money in the ring before the race. So it's, it's exactly the kind of horse that bookmakers on track um, will try to take on, you know, in the hope that there really uh, the, there is proper money in the ring, which if you speak to bookmakers and ask it these days, they'll say um, it tends not to be the case, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, if it was a, a proper betting meeting, um, and the rain had been pouring down and it's the end of the season and it's been a long year and you've got a biggish field in a race like this, the bookies will always, always try to get an odds-on favourite like this in the satchel early on the day. And especially the second race on the card. If it was the last race of the day, then you might tend to bet according to um, uh, high results have gone earlier on. But this is one where, where bookmakers should try to get him. Um, and if it goes horribly wrong, you just get punters of money in their pockets and several races left to go. So, so you can easily get it back. So what's your approach then? Do you think? Well, that... definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, don't be. Do do not be touching the favourite at this stage. Definitely don't back him now. Yeah. Um, and 
Um, if you want to back him on the day, I think the closer you get to the off, the better a price he is. Um, I, I, you know, if it's if it's soft, uh, and John Gosden wants to give him a chance, he's a very sporting, he's a very sporting owner. They want to give him a chance. He's definitely not on his best on soft ground. You know, he's he's all heart, and he he will he will try all day. And we know now he stays two and a half miles very well. Um, but fundamentally, it's it's uh, um, it's speed that that wins him his races, uh, and then he idles in front. Um, Ask it does suit him, but you know, genuinely soft ground would be a worry. And it is getting to the end of the season, and he's been beaten in this. Um, his last defeat came in this, didn't it? Mm, did, he said, yeah. not looking at the horse's record. Uh, he still ran a decent race that day. Um, Order St George, wasn't I, it? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see him winning easily. Um, I th- he's obviously the likeliest winner in the race, but for, uh, there's only one bet for me in this. Um, we we reviewed the um, the Irish Ledger. Um, on here, and I thought Q Gardens was an enormous eye catcher. Yeah. Uh, the jockeys all all got that wrong. The winner pulled ridiculously hard in the early stages, so the jockey uh, couldn't hold her. Sent her off in front, and the rest of them thought, "Well, she'll be stopping after a mile." And they sat way off her, and she didn't. And that happens all the time at the Curra. Horses are get loose in front. Look at the Irish Derby. Uh, yeah. You get lots of races like that. If you get loose and get rolling at the curry, you're very, very hard to pull back in. And Kew Gardens made enormous late grind from a terrible position um, and was finishing faster than everything else. Take the winner out of that, and that would have looked like a really impressive win. Um, can't kick him out of the frame at 5-1. to one. Um, So it looks like a very, very safe each way out there. I think he's a... And I think he can win the race. It's not a case of... Put your money down, pick your money back up again. I think is a genuine chance of him of him beating the favourite. I don't think there's an awful lot between them on form, quite frankly. And indeed, their three their three year old season suggests that um, he might be the better of the two. Yeah. Fred has clearly improved since, but I don't think Hugh Gardens has gone backwards. I, I think um, he's a solid moral to to get placed. And as you said, there's like they haven't they haven't really faced each other, um, so there's there's every reason to think that that. He can he can run a massive race and, and look if they can get him back to the form that he showed when he won the Saint Ledger last year, uh, and he's run two big races this season. He was unlucky in the in the Coronation Cup. He was unlucky. Oh God, being there at the Curragh to see that was absolutely sickening. But that was a massive layoff that he was coming off as well. So I think you have to take the chance at fives. Um, yeah, he's you know I, I, there's there's no reason to think on what he's shown this year that that he hasn't actually improved. Um, since last season, everyone blamed Ryan for him getting beaten in the uh, um, in the Coronation Cup, um, and he stayed on really strongly at the Curra last time out. Uh, yeah, I mean, hell, you can make a case for Capri winning for Capri winning this um, on, on his three-year form. Of course, has beaten Stradivarius um, in the past, but um, as you said, he appears to be um, gone up the game on, on this season's evidence. But it, you wouldn't put it entirely past Aidan O'Brien to, to somehow. Find the the key to him one last time, um, but no, Kew Gardens looks looks really really solid. Now I would, I if I was pricing this up, I would be odds against the favourite in this, just because of when it comes in the season, it's it's hard to keep the very best horses right at the top of the game when the when the um you know the, the weather changes and the temperature drops um, when you've had them on the go since since April, um, and as I said, I, I don't think there's an awful lot between them in terms of the, the form they showed as three year olds. And um, you know it'd be, it'd be odds against the favourite, and more like three to one Q Gardens for me, three to one seven to two. 
Donnick O'Brien obviously takes the ride on Kew Gardens. What is your ultimate decision, Steve? Stradivarius, or are you prepared to take him on? No, he's. I think he'll win. I, I'm not telling anyone anything that they don't already know, but I think it's an interesting market uh, regarding each way horses because there are the 10 runners, so it's, it's quite attractive for that sort of betting, in, in my view, especially when you've got horses in there that I don't, don't think have got a great chance. And the one that I'm most interested in, especially with the ground drying, hopefully, well, certainly not being as testing as on the straight course, is withhold who I've always thought had the potential to, to develop into a group class stayer. And uh, what he did last time at Newmarket, I thought was, was most impressive in the listed race. Of course, he's stepping up hugely in grade, but if he gets on the front end and keeps galloping and spins off the turn on that inner track, then uh, I think he's got a great chance of hitting the frame. It, what about 12 to 1? 12 to 1, yeah, for another one, possibly for Tony Bloom on the big day as well. Definitely a, a, an each way chance to say the least, but you make a good point about him. If he can get on the front end, uh, he will keep on galloping. It's going to be a fascinating race. If Stradivarius wins, you just take your beating because he's one hell of a horse. Uh, the 245, so this is one of the races that has been rescheduled. Just, Go on, sorry, yeah. sorry, but just before before we move on, um, Withhold is indeed an interesting horse in, in, in that race and probably would be would third in my on my list um if he does go and win this there'll be a degree of controversy um given tony bloom won the cesara which last weekend and won the cesara which um two years ago with withhold um but for some reason known only to them Newmarket brought in a rule last year which specifically stopped withhold running in the cesara which which he was due to do um, that rule doesn't exist anymore. Um, and there aren't many owners in the game who've ever won three of the big handicaps, or one of the big handicaps in three successive years. Um, so if Withhold shows himself good enough to win um, a group one like this, he would have been a steering job in last year's Cesarowicz. Um, and the public didn't get the opportunity of seeing him win that. Um, because of an unbelievably stupid rule. Wait, wait, wait. You're going to have to break that down for me. Are you yeah, you're not aware of that? No, I'm not. Are you telling me that... Last they... year's Cesaro, which, yeah. for the first time ever, a rule was brought in saying that only horses who had run twice prior to entries closing over a mile and a half or further would be eligible to run in the race. Because Withhold had won his first Cesaro, which, off the back of one run in the previous year. And for some reason, that was deemed to be unacceptable by Newmarket. So they brought in a rule that wouldn't allow. And of course, his plan the following season was to run in the Northumberland plate and go back to the Cesarowicz again. That, that was his, his plan the whole time. And in the summer, uh, Newmarket brought in a rule that said, you're not eligible for the Cesarowicz unless you've had two runs. And so he couldn't run. What a load of bollocks. And then that rule has been taken away this year and will never be reintroduced. Do they have something against Tony Bloom? I doubt it. I just, um, I, you know, I, I don't know why. We, we've, we've got rules like that with the Grand National, you know, and I can understand why you might want to have rules with the Grand National, that you want a horse that's, that's at least run over fences in the season, because, you know, God forbid, if you have an accident and people go, oh, this horse should have been running in the race. He hadn't run over fences for two years, and they let him run the Grand National, and look what happens. Um, but this is our wish. The only reason you would do it is because you don't like the idea of horses not running at your track earlier in the season or, or you know, somewhere else. But 
you can't you can't impose those kind of rules on the biggest handicaps going on. You know, I can understand maybe if every big handicap was won by a horse that we hadn't seen for a year, for you know, for ages, people might get a bit fed up with it. But it's it's hardly an ongoing issue, is it? But withhold that, in 2017, he was such a good winner of the race, and yeah. Sy- and Sylvester gave him such a brilliant ride as well that the idea that you didn't get to see him try and back that up because they came up with this ridiculous rule that in the end like they're only shooting themselves in the foot and if they, if they brought the rule in 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 january and told everyone about it then you know you'd you'd just give them a, a run down the field in a mile and a half handicap at york in may or something like that and then run them in the, you know in, in the real target after that um and that's just that's surely just encouraging people to give their horses a run around you know, rather than actually only running in races, you think you go in and withhold as a hard horse to train. He breaks blood vessels. Yeah, he did that in the in the Gilong Cup um, last year. So he has to be campaigned sparingly. Um, and yet, you know, someone thinks they should stop him running. And you know, it's a possibility. We say withhold. Willie Mullins would have had a few horses um, who also wouldn't have been eligible to run because Willie's got a lot of horses, high class dual purpose horses who've maybe been running primarily over hurdles but with the option of coming back for Cesaro, which so there was a few of his who were ruled out as well. Um, but withhold is the obvious one. And, you know, given that Tony Bloom has then won um, the Cesaro, which last week was Stratum, having won with, withholds three years ago, or two years ago, rather, um, it, it spoiled the opportunity of him, you know, winning that race three times in a row. And, you know, he's the kind of guy who could easily fall out of love with racing very quickly. He's done it in the past, um, Tony. What are you going you're gonna to fall in racing first, um, and he felt like he was he was taken advantage of, as a lot of owners do, uh, and got out of the sport. And then um, maybe 10 years later, got back in again uh, in terms that he was happy with. Um, but you don't have to mess around with people for no reason too much for them to think, if that's what people think of me, then I'll spend my money on football. Yeah. And he's already a massive football owner. So we need to be encouraging owners to the game and not introducing stupid rules that dissuade them from it. I can't understand that at all in the slightest. One of the scheduled changes to Champions Day is the Kipco British Champion Philly and Mayor's Stakes Group 1. It's now at 2.45 instead of its intended time of 2.10. Uh, Starcatcher heads the betting for John Gosden and Frankie Dettori. Uh, they've also got a nice backup in Anna Perna, the Oaks runner who will have her last run after winning in Paris Longchamp last time out. Uh, this will be her last run before retirement. Tobert Well brings over Tarwana, who there was a huge word for on course at the Curra the last day uh, when she managed to go and win and win impressively against a good horse in Goddess. And then you've got Fleeting, the frustrating Fleeting, who keeps running big races but doesn't quite get past the winner. Uh, that being said, where is your money going, Steve Jones? On the frustrating Fleeting, I think. I, I think she has got a big race and when she can put it all together and things drop right for her you, you've seen that in in the oaks where she was unlucky in that really rough race where she was third to annapurna she does need things to drop right for her though she likes to be held out i think she'll get a decent pace though won't she star catcher in there and a few other front runners and with aiden having aiden o'brien having four in there mm. you'd have thought he'd, he'd want something to go up on and take him on the top end i don't know whether that's pink dogwood's role because she she hasn't found much of a role since she finished second in the oaks uh lost her form incredibly and i think fleeting 
has the class to do it. And she was unlucky in a, a Marlin 2 Group 1, the Lopera, on um, Art Weekend. So she comes here in good form, likes easy ground, should get a decent pace. I know she's frustrated. I know she hasn't won this year. I know you're bashing your head endlessly at brick wall, which seems to be a hobby of my time in gambling at some <laughs> sometimes. And uh, I think she's got a lot going for her. If, if there's the splits go for her, I mean, the inner course might cause her a little bit. You'd prefer it to be on the, the normal flat track, not the hurdles track, but there's no hurdles in the way, as your mate uh, Declan said. So <laughs> I think Fleeting's one last time, please, please, please. One last time, we'll keep the fate with Fleeting at 7-1. to one. Aidan O'Brien's won this race for the last two years, uh, throwing... F- Quite a few bullets uh, this year, including the Oaks runner-up and incredibly frustrating Pink Dogwood. Uh, Rory, for you, obviously the betting headed by the two John Gosden horses and Starcatcher and Annapurna. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm always looking for Philly going forward at this time of the year rather than trying to sort them out into very strict ratings order. Um, I think with the uh, with the Colts and the older horses, it's one thing. With the Phillies... You just want to find one who's who's coming to herself as a rule and is going to run a race uh, rather than hoping that something that's shown top that form in the spring is going to come back to it. And um, she needs to improve a little bit. But the one that I've got in my mind here is Antonia de Vega, um, one of, of several um, uh, in these colours to have, to have got off to a really good start last year for Rafe Beckett. Um, she... Um, she wasn't herself in her final start last year. She she um, she was impressive, uh, winning her maiden at Newmarket. She then won the Prestige Stakes in good style, uh, stepping up to Group Three Company her second start, and just was um, was all wrong in the Phillies Mile. She finished tailed off last, um, which I think she lost second favourite in the end, and we didn't see her again until June. And in June she came out and won the Abingdon Stakes on soft ground at Newbury. Um, putting up a, a career best performance by some way. We haven't seen her since again. Rafe Beckett's had an in and out season, to be perfectly honest. Um, he's he, he hasn't been particularly noticeable through the summer, if you like, given that he's he's um, often had some very good horses. But all of a sudden, the Beckett yard is on fire. How many races have Rafe Beckett's horses um, contested in the last five days, Kevin? Oh, Kevin? Kevin? Evans? People do confuse us a lot, uh, so so that's not surprising. Um, in the last five days, uh, yes, ten, seven, seven races contested by uh, runners from the Rafe Beckett Yard, including uh, three Group Threes, two listed races, and. Six winners. Oh, now that's on no, fire. no one beats that. The, 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 his only loser on Saturday across two meetings. He had a four-timer at Newmarket on a really tough card. His horses, more than most, his horses tend to be soft ground um, uh, horses, and they tend to come into their own at the uh, the back end of the season. He launched a um, a really really interesting prospect for next year at the previous Newmarket meeting. Bolted up on debut, uh, and then on Saturday. Uh, Tom Frey won the uh, the nursery. Um, Max Vega won your favourite race of the season, the Setland Stakes. Uh, Richenza bounced right back to point to win the, the, the listed sprint. And Feliciana de Vega 
uh, was uh, a winner of the Dardy Stakes, the Group 3. Uh, the only loser there was Dolphin Vista, who essentially was setting the pace uh, for Richenza in the sprint. And then at, uh, at York, he had one runner, uh, and that one won the nursery there, a, big, a very competitive nursery as well. Um, and then he had no runners for a few days, and Impatient came out and won at, um, uh, at Kempton yesterday. Oh, sorry, um, yeah, yesterday. Unfortunately, he then had a runner in the in the uh, listed race at Bath, who had no chance on form and finished last. But I'd be disappointed if that's the end of his run of form. Um, and the fact that this filly hasn't run much this season kind of suggests that Rafe hasn't been enormously happy with all his horses. Um, but they all seem to be firing in all cylinders now. And the softer the ground gets with these Lope de Vegas, the happier they are. I think she will take a big step forward again. Uh, and if she does, she could be a match for any of these. 11 wins in the last 14 days for Rafe Beckett. And in the last seven days, he's really caught fire. Wow. Okay. You've made a very, very big case there. I was I was all over Tarawana for uh, Dermot Weld. I think it's always interesting when Dermot travels to the UK. He rarely does it um, for the crack. And just the word was so strong about her at the Curra. Uh, yeah, that was a group. That was, that was a weak group too. It was. I it thought was. the plan. It's, it? it's definitely a step up, but she's a she's a shamadal, and she just seems to be going. She the, the the grind is key to her. She she wants um she wants soft grind. It mm. was it was probably just on the soft side of good at the Kura, but it was it there was enough digging it for her. Um, and if it gets very soft, it shouldn't bother her. But I I didn't think that was much of a race. The, the fillies he was up against have been beating each other through the season. Yeah, um, Goddess so is an unreliable the, horse as well. Um, she's no. not exactly the most reliable. So listen, let's let's uh, let's not ask any questions. Let's pile in. So with Antonio De Vega, who we can get at ten to one, uh, and we'll do the reverse forecast with Fleeting, shall we? At sevens, <laughs> and make an absolute fortune, a fortune to be made. Uh, the QE two will go off at three twenty on Sky Sports Racing. Um, and the if, so, if I was a bookmaker, like yes. with a shop estate, and it's a difficult time to be. A bookmaker with a shop estate, I would get one of my marketing guys to invent a bet called the Lucky Sixty Nine, <laughs> and push that as hard as I possibly could. Especially on days when there's a uh, final furlong podcast. Oh, That's the way to make money. They, they do well. I can tell you right now, they do well. Uh, the Revenant heads the betting for the QE2 for the French. Uh, at five to two currently, the best price available on this horse, so that Rory's not shouting at me, is five to two. So that's fine. Uh, we've then got Magnus. At least you didn't say the Revenant. The Revenant. The Revenant. As, as, the, as the commentator did. The, re- the, the English commentator did. The Revenant. Uh, Magna Grisha is back. Uh, six to one is the top price about him. Fred O'Brien, Ben Battle, seven to one. Lord Glitters, fifteen to two. And then you've got King of Comedy at around about the ten to one shot. Steve will lead off with you again. The French coming over here, stealing our races. Uh, what do you make of the QE2 this year? Yeah, well, he's not French, is he? He used to be trained by Hugo Palmer, so he's only been on holiday. Over. Good man! Good man! Screw you, so, Francois Goffard! It's not your horse at all. He's <laughs> <laughs> borrowing it. Uh, so, yeah, the Revenant, as we like to call it over here, is uh, a very progressive horse, but this is a jump up in class. Uh, obviously, uh, the ground won't be, or shouldn't be a problem. It was very soft when he bolted up at Longchamp. Uh, this is the acid test for him, and it, it's it's going to be a big field, and it could end up being quite a rough race. So I'm happy to take him on. But what with? Magna Grisha has not been seen for yonks. Uh, ben Battle, I don't think uh, the ground's going to suit him. He's generally... I mean, this time last year, what was he doing? 
was in Australia, wasn't he? Yeah. He's in second to Winksy. Yeah. That's right, Al Winksy in the Cox Plate. Yeah, so that must make him a certainty because you're a big Winks fan, isn't it? I know that. Oh, for so God's must sake. make him. I mean, he, he was he was hugely impressive at Newmarket, wasn't he? He was, he was to be yeah. fair. It, the, the problem with him is I don't think the heavy ground's going to do anything for him. He, he's it's virtually put a nail in his coffin in the QE2 states. You've got accident agent. Will he start? I hope so, but <laughs> he's certainly got issues, hasn't he? And Big the time. one I, I think always runs his race is Lord Glitters. Won the Queen Anne, and yet he's, uh, what, seven or eight to one, is he? Yeah, he is, yeah. So um, I, I just don't see that. I think he loves Ascot. He likes soft ground. He should get the decent pace that he needs. He absolutely does need. And he could easily come after being freshened up. He's not run since uh, they tried him over a mile and two, which I didn't think he's ever going to get in the uh, the Judmont International at York. But uh, I think back to a mile in conditions in his favour, I think he's he's the one for me. But uh, interesting horses, Mohatha. I, I really like what he did at, at Newbury in the spring, and uh, he could easily have been a guinea horse had he not suffered an injury. I just had a nagging doubt, as I did for the guineas, whether he's a seven furlong horse, not a miler, but he will like the ground. Um, Lord Glitters, for me, is the solid one, but Muhatha, I don't know, what, what's he, 20s, something like that? Oh, I think you can get bigger. Uh, 33, 33. 33 to one, mate, as Kevin Blake would say. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a big price about a horse who may very well be tailed off. But uh, no, to be fair, Marcus Dragonic's horses are in top form, so I, I can see where you're coming from with that. But Lord Glitters seems like a a solid shout. Never really gets the credit he deserves. It's Magna no, Grisha. He absolutely doesn't. He never he gets the credit dog. he deserves. Yeah, ne- never does. Um, it's Magna Grisha for me. I, I think that I don't doubt his fitness and um, the Irish Guineas was all wrong. So we'll see how... You know, uh, has, has he been on some kind of world tour since um, since he, May then? He had a, an injury setback and they were trying to get him back for... I think it was a group one in France and in the end they decided to, to wait. So I can only imagine that it's here and then Breeders' Cup mile, maybe. Um, who knows, but he'll probably stay a in prep, A prep race for the Breeders' Cup and heavy grind. That sounds like uh, exactly what he wants, isn't it? Yeah, but um, hey, the old Coolmore and the Arcos team can't go wrong. Uh, Donica obviously won the guineas on him as well, so it's it's no harm having him on board. And you can get six to one about Magna Grecia. Uh, your thoughts, Rory? Um, I'd be interested to see how the market shapes up on this because um, uh, Ben Battle will come out looking best on the ratings because of that performance last time out. Um, and if you listen to Saeed Ben Sarur after the race, he was adamant the horse needed the run and he absolutely uh, blew King of Comedy away. Um, I just think Ben Battle might be the type to show his very best form when he's 95% fit. Um, rather than after that run, so that was his first his first run since October, and he he did much more than they thought he would do. Um, so I think there's a, there's a decent chance of him recoiling from that. For all it was impressive, uh, especially with the heavy ground to contend with as well. And the revenant has been talked up an awful lot for this. He's nowhere near good enough to win a proper. I mean, this might end up being a weak Group One, uh, which gives him a chance. He's not a Group One horse. No. 
Uh, I know I know Hugo Palmer hoped that he would turn into a Derby horse, but in fairness, there are a few 60-rated handicappers out there who, who Hugo hoped would be Derby horses as well, um, because you don't know until they get... That's not, that, that, that's not meant uh, as a slight on Hugo at all. Um, he's meant to be a mudlark, the Revenant. He's run twice on heavy ground in his life. He's be, he was beaten once by DXB over a mile. Um, the dog did not like that comment about Hugo Palmer, by the way. He's very, very Sorry. annoyed at you. Sorry? The dog did not like that comment dog, about Hugo no, Palmer. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of par for the course. It's all right, Bogey. I'm not talking to Hugo. There's no need to be like that. The dog's obviously you know, a big yeah. Roger fan. It's just, I, I mean, and the Revenant's a nice horse, and clearly he's, he's well-suited by a mile, and he was impressive in a, in a group two um, last time out. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a typical French um, group two um, on, on ground that was not as soft as the official. That's always the way with, with French going descriptions as well. So the idea that the Revenant has been winning loads of races on heavy ground and is a superstar when the mud is flying is it's not wildly inaccurate, but it is fairly inaccurate. Um, he's been he's been doing his winning on good and good to soft ground, and we know he handles heavy. Um, but he hasn't shown he hasn't shown top class form in heavy ground. His two runs on heavy were you know were fairly useful for him, um, and he's improved since. Um, so uh, the idea that the ground is going to suit him better than anything else is not as much of a given as people seem to think it is. Um, and he's one of those that people won't really be particularly familiar with his form, but are looking for a, for a horse who wants the ground and are going to pick up on him because he's been talked about that way. Um, and I'd be a little bit wary. Of course, he's, he's written by Pierre-Charles Boudot, who cannot ride losers. Um, so, you know, that's that's hardly a bad thing for him. But I, I think the front two are weak enough in the market. Um, in saying that, there's nothing that I'm absolutely mad about in the race, and I'm going to have to, to, to play it by ear a little bit. I was talking about Safe Voyage earlier on. Um, I wonder whether the 6 4 long race was the one for him rather than yeah. stepping up to a mile in this. I'm but surprised he's the horse. He's the horse who's going to love the grind more than anything else in the race. But, you know, he's been running over seven furlongs around the bend, um, and I'm not sure whether the straight mile will play to his strengths, but he, he will absolutely adore the grind. Um, yeah, uh, Mohatha, I, I really liked um, when he won the, the Greenham um, at the start of the season. Um, I put him up uh, before that at the time. But whether you could have him in a race like this off a break is another matter altogether. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm almost certainly going to wait until the morning and try to nick a bit of value on something at 25 to 33 to 1 in this race. Uh, depending on on what gets pushed out, so rather than making my mind up now and kind of being forced to stick with something, um, I'm going to avoid the top two in the market. Um, I'm probably not going to be taking a chance on, on horses like Magna Grecia either. I'm going to look for something that's that's solid but unspectacular, but underrated by the market. Okay. Uh, well, I worry about the jockey for the Revenant because uh, in in the last fortnight, Pierre Charles Boudot seems to have been stalked by the racing blogger. If, uh, <laughs> and, and he'll do well to shake him off at Asker. I, I worry about him being able to ride it. I don't. I don't think he's going to be allowed to. The blogger's going to have him in a headlock. That that, that could that could be significant, couldn't it? Do you know that we? Uh, I jokingly mentioned him on last week's show, and I immediately got tweets saying, "Please, please 
do not give him airtime. Please don't mention him. So it's uh, it's Steve's fault this time around. And, uh, a lot of people get wound up by the fella. Yeah. Live and let live, I say. Li- yeah, live and let live. That's the that's the way to be. Yeah, but um, you could be right. He could put the pox on him. Maybe if he tips him, that, that's it. Game over. Uh, do you know what? The more I look at this race, the more I quite like the fact that Magna Grisha is fresh. Uh, Aiden O'Brien's won the race, race three times in the last 10 years. And uh, three-year-olds go well, too. So if we go by the stats, uh, which, of course, Steve, Yeah, but it's clear that he would have wanted to get a run into Magna Grisha. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. If, he'd, if, he'd, if he'd scrambled home in a, in a group two somewhere a month ago... I'd be reasonably keen on his chances, but it, you know it's clear that it hasn't quite gone to plan. And while you know you you trust Aiden above almost anyone else in the world to get a horse like him ready, it still has to put you off a little bit, the, the depending thing, on price, of course. The, the thing is, though, that, that that's that's the point is that we're probably going to get a bigger price in the day because it's not Ryan Moore, it's Donica, even though Donica won the guineas on him and won the uh, the Virgin Futurity Stakes on him as well. So cl- they clearly have a good relationship. He goes well fresh. He won the guineas first time out. And uh, there's no better man than Aiden to get one ready fresh. So that doesn't really concern me in, in the slightest. So we, we might end up getting a bigger price than we should on the day. So look, I'll stick with him. Um, are, you looking, are you looking at the prices now, by the way? Yes, I am. He's what price is King of Comedy? King of Comedy is currently 12 to 1 with one of the biggest firms mm. around. I'd want, I'd want, I could see him being ignored and going off at a big price, but it, I wouldn't want to be backing him at that. You know, clearly he's got no chance with Ben Battle last time out for him. And I like that kind of angle where you can give a horse a decent chance, um, but the, the most recent piece of evidence puts people off. Uh, and horses like that tend to go off at much bigger prices than they should. At this stage, he's not. Um, but if he got if he got to twenties and bigger, then he'd become he'd start becoming reasonably interesting to me. He's quirky, but I think he'd probably be happy enough on the ground, um, and he's got the ability to 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 go close um, if he doesn't blow the start. And even if he does blow the start, it might not be the worst thing in the world to be off the pace in a race like this, given the conditions. Isn't Ben Battle also a massive contender to just bounce to the moon? He is. We well, suggested that anyway. But you know, on the other hand, you know, uh, what price Ben Battle in your? Uh... Uh, let me re-click uh, Ben Battle is currently a best price 7 to 1 with big firms he's 7 to 1 Ben Battle Ben Battle is 7 to 1 with big firms who Ooh, actually well, I'll will I'll tell you what I, I, I hadn't looked at the betting for this I would have thought he would have been a much shorter price than that and in which case you know I'm immediately uh, you know his, his run last time out is the best piece of form in the race um, no doubt about that. We're worried about him backing it up. But then again, you know, when when you're ten, when you're talking about being against a horse like that, you kind of you're assuming they're going to be market leader. Uh, and if I'm not keen on the revenants, you know, as as a horse who's been overhyped for winning lesser races and not really a mudlark, then Ben Battle, you know, has a slightly sl- a stronger chance at the top of the market. I thought I can't think seven to one is the right price about him. Okay. Um, I'm not sure I want to be piling into him, but you know. I'm thinking I'm against Ben Battle as a nine to four favourite, but at seven to one, I, I certainly wouldn't be be laying him. All right, so it's going to be Ben Battle then at, at seven. Well, for Rory. it'll be no, it'll it'll be. I'm not I'm not having a bet in the race now. Um, you want to wait said, till the morning. I, I, you know, I, I'm. I think there's weakness at the top of the market anyway, but I didn't expect Ben Battle to be that kind of price. What I will do is I will. I'll make a judgment on the day based on how this market shapes up and see who I think has got half a chance. There, there, there are six or seven horses with half a chance here. 
um, who are priced up conservatively, but at least two of those will be knocked out to big prices. And I'll be interested in one of those, if that makes sense. Speaking of the morning of the race, you'll be able to read Steve Jones' thoughts uh, in the mirror. He may very well have changed some of his opinions um, by the time this podcast has been released. And you'll be able to read my opinions in the Irish field. In the Irish field. Uh, but also on atheraces.com, you'll get the thoughts of Hugh Taylor. You'll get the thoughts of Simon Rowlands. And you'll get um, the... We know perfectly well that Hugh Taylor will be will be hoping that Raising Sand wins, but also tipping something up at Wolverhampton. Of course. You know of course. But only because he it's thinks it's going to win. It's not it's, about the big meeting. It's, it's, it's the, the value. value. It's the value. And the man's crushing it again this year. It's unbelievable what he can do. Uh, but Simon Rollins and Hugh Taylor will be tipping up on AtTheRaces.com. Uh, there's full previews of Champions Day on AtTheRaces.com as well. And of course, the race cards are available with uh, Timeform added in alongside the AtTheRaces opinions too. The feature race of the day is the Kipco Champions Stakes live at 4 o'clock on Sky Sports Racing where Magical heads the betting uh, with Donica O'Brien on board with uh, Ryan down under. We've got Adayeb has started to drift having originally been favoured at 11-4, to 5-2. He's out to threes. Coronet is your second favourite at about 7-2. to two. And Deirdre, who I quite like for this race, is a 10-1 to one shot. Um, let's lead it with you again, Steve. Magical has come into a very, very short price now at 7-4 to four since she's been confirmed for the race. Um, can she be head and shoulders above this lot and be the first winner of the champion stakes for Aidan O'Brien? Amazing, isn't it? it Aidan O'Brien has not won the champions. There can't be many group ones in Europe that he hasn't won. And uh, the champion stakes is a proper group one, isn't it? So mm. it, that is a big surprise. And the other surprising thing about this race, and I, I don't know if it happens all that often, I can't remember it, but then if you go through the records, then there might be instances of it. But when has there been more fillies than Colts in an open group one like this? Good it's question. A, a championship. Good question. And I, I can't remember. I have not, I have not the answer. But I have the question. I'll tell you who might have the answer. Is Roy DeLarge? No. Ah, okay. Normally you're good <laughs> no, at that kind of stuff. It's, well, yeah, it's not the kind of... It's, it's pure trivia, really, isn't it? When have there been more fillies than cool to that group which, one? Which you absolutely <laughs> excel at, my real, man. No, I'm talking about, you know, actual people or actual horses, not statistical anomalies. Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah. I guarantee you, I think though. It points, I think it points to the fact that this just isn't a very strong race, personally. Yeah, and that's no disrespect to the Phillies, by the way. It just does mean that there haven't been a whole lot of Colts that have stood up and shone this season. Um, well, if they, I mean, you wouldn't if you were drawing up a list of Group 1 Colts, you wouldn't come up with a day very high up the list, would you? No, certainly not when he's a gelding, by the way. <laughs> Um, just <laughs> when, when he's had when, when he's when he's had the uh, the two veg chopped off him. Um, but yeah. no, it's a good point though. I mean, like he would not be high on your list, and yet he's three to one second favorite for one of the biggest group ones of the season. So, where is your eye currently drawn? Well, you you go down. Regal reality is a, a lunatic, and he? he wouldn't go left. It, the um, in going down to the start for the eclipse, so he had to go all the way around the track because he would only go right out of the uh, coming onto the track. And he was the same uh, for the Brigadier Jarrett, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, he's, yeah. he's got his own ideas, that horse. And the Japanese horse, Deidre, uh, obviously, they've caused a bit of a shock in the in the Nassau 
at uh, Goodwood, but the, the softer ground that it's sure to be at Ascot, I don't think it's any good for for him. And uh, what are you left with? Horses chancing their arm. And the, the one that I think is certainly overpriced, and she took an age to win a Group 1, but she's now won a couple, is Coronet. And uh, I, I think she, with conditions on the easy side, be perfect for her. She was uh, second to Magical last year in the, the Phillies in Mayor's race on, on British Champions Day. And I, I just think she's, she is overpriced and I think she's got a good chance of beating Magical. I agree with you for what it's worth. Uh, I was with Deirdre, but I watched back Royal Ascot and the more you watch her flounder behind Crystal Ocean in the soft ground, the more you have to worry about how she'll handle conditions on the day uh it's currently good to soft on the inside course so she might get away with it and again this could be a case of on the day she's 10 to 1 and 9 to 1 deirdre uh coronet 7 to 2 so so far it's all about the girls uh leading the way and um, we haven't really touched that much on on magical yet either by the way but um deirdre and uh, and coronet uh, are, are the two that have come to the fore so far. Steve, very, very keen on, on Coronet. Um, she's clearly informed. John Gosden and Frankie Dettori are mopping up all before them. Rory, your thoughts? Uh, I like Deirdre in this. Um, the, the grind is a, is a slight concern, but the, there's every chance the grind won't be as bad as it was at, at, um, at Ascot for her. Um depending on what the weather's going to be like on the day. It looks it looks like it's set fair on Saturday and, and we're expecting a few mils of rain tomorrow. But, you know, again, worth bearing in mind that there's there's a massive difference between what the going is like on the round course and the straight course here at Ascot. Um, currently, good to soft. I think good to soft will be fine for Deirdre. Uh, also worth remembering that um, she's a, a completely different animal since Oshin Murphy uh, threw his leg over her. Yutaka um, Taki was gone at the game 20 years ago, mate. Jesus Christ. Um, and um, he, he had her terribly positioned in the Prince of Wales as, as it went. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't come from any off the pace the way that race panned out anyway. Uh, it, just, it just didn't suit her. That's not an indication of how she is. This, of course, is a... a theoretically, it's the same course and distance, but it's, a, it's slightly different because they're using the hurdles track. Um, she wants a strong pace and she wants some... Uh, and she wants to be able to use her stride, uh, and that's not the way it, it panned out. So she she doesn't want to be going slow and then quickening. She wants to be um, going at a, at a solid pace throughout and picking up horses. It's exactly how it panned out for her at Goodwood. They went really hard that day, um, and she showed that there was a suggestion that as a, a five-year-old mare, she was maybe she was maybe over the top herself uh, after Ascot, but she impressed at Goodwood. Where the, where the pace really suited her. She's absolutely gorgeous. She's she's a, a big, long-striding mare who just needs things um, run to suit. We discussed her after Champions Weekend as well, and I said I hope she'd come here and that the ground wasn't too soft for her. Um, and the suggestion then was, oh, they, they said they're going to go for the arc, and I didn't think the arc would suit her at all because of the nature of that race. Um, ironically, the way the arc was run this year would have suited her. Mm. That's life, isn't it? Um, hopefully, and I, I can't see why it wouldn't be the case, hopefully we'll have a strong pace here. Um, Madai will want to go forward again, as she did at Goodwood. Um, 
Pondus, um, one of the few colts in the race, tends to race fairly prominently. I'd, I'd like to see him press on, um, and that should ensure a decent pace for run uh, for Deirdre. Uh, and if she gets that, I, 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 you know, the gamble is whether the ground is, is too soft for her. But she's won on good to soft before. Um, and I thought she was really unlucky at Leopardstown. I, I thought she would have won that race if they'd gone a proper gallop. Um, but she got, she got caught on heels and couldn't get out. Um, and she finished best of all. She was really eye-catching. Um, she will always be a slave to to fortune in races like this. Um, if they go slow or they, they start off fast and then slow things down and quicken again, she'll be caught out. But if they go a decent pace throughout um, and kick on into the straight, then that will suit her down to the ground and she's going to be coming home best of all in a strongly run race. Um, you're not guaranteed to get it, but at the same time, you look at the prices um, and you realise that there's enough leeway in the prices you're getting about her um, to to set aside those doubts. Well, th- this is my th- thoughts on it. Aidan O'Brien's never won this race. So to me, that means that for Coolmore, the champion stakes, for all that it is a prestigious race, is always an afterthought. The, the, the Irish champion stakes, the ARC, and the Breeders' Cup, whether it's the Classic or more the Turf, yeah. they become more important commercially. For whatever reason, they've made that decision. Um, they've run some very, very good horses in this race over the years. They've all been beaten. That can't be a coincidence that for some reason this has been an afterthought. And while Magical won the Irish Champion Stakes, she was bloody lucky to do so on the day. Um, she was probably the best horse, but God, Deirdre was so unlucky. And Oshin Murphy's on the brink of being champion jockey. And he wants to take that right back. And this is his opportunity to do so. The more, this is the, the concern I had. I kept watching back that, that uh, Royal Ascot run. According to attheraces.com, the current going on the straight course is heavy, inner, good to soft, soft in places. You feel as though, Rory, that she would handle that okay? Yeah, the, the key thing about that ground is it's, there are only going to be three races on the round track and it's virgin ground it's ground that has not had a horse stand on it since when's the last jump the last jump meeting in the season used to be late april but i think it's actually it's like february now isn't it at ascot oh, it could be you know they, they, yeah they don't they, no, they don't cross over the end of the season isn't there that um juvenile handicap oh that's right yeah 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 so there's so there is one in april so but there's been nothing running at ascot um on this ground since april so it's, it really is virgin ground. So unlike most scenarios where you've got soft ground, you're looking at chopped up ground um, and ground that's, that's been watered and then seen rain on top of it or whatever. This is ground that, although um, given as good as soft, soft in places, will be absolutely pristine on the day. And that makes a big difference. So we have another reverse forecast, Coronet and Deirdre. And Deirdre is a 10 to 1 shot. Magical is 7 to 4. I respect Magical, but Deirdre is way too big. And ipso facto, 10 to 1. Mag- Deirdre, thank you very, very much. Uh, the final race of the day, gentlemen, is the one that you're both most excited about talking about. Off air, this is the one you couldn't wait to hit. The Balmoral Handicap over the straight mile. Uh, they're going currently heavy. Lord North who was very impressive last time out. Uh, he did only win by three quarters of length, but damn, he did it in style. 7-2 favorite for Frankie de Tori. Uh, you can get a bit of 5-1. to one. You then got Kyron at 7s. Kick on 8-1. to one. 
Dear God, Armando Magdaliani for Aiden O'Brien attends uh, Biometric Escobar with those famous colors. Uh, Rory, we'll leave it with you this time. We'll, we'll drop you into the fire for the, the big handicap, the Balmoral. Where are the Delargi millions going to be going in this one? Um, uh, first thing to point out, I suppose, uh, Lord North could be an absolute blot, but if you think he is, um, uh, the, the form of the Cambridge has actually already worked out pretty well. He, he was really impressive that day, but um, he's dropping back now from, from nine furlongs to, to um, uh, the mile here. And um, although uh, Majestic Dawn won yesterday on soft ground at, um, at Nottingham, so the form's worked out fairly well. It's worth bearing in mind that he'd already gone up in the handicap before the Cambridge, but as an early closing race, he was able to run off his old mark. So he hasn't just gone up five or six pounds for winning that by three quarters of a length. He's 12 pounds higher in the weights. Um, once horses go up by double figure margins, you need to think really hard about whether the fact that they were visually really impressive is enough to make you back them off their new mark. On the other hand, um, when John Goldston wins the Cambridgeshire with an unexposed three or four year old, they tend to go and win group races. Um, so you might think that Lord North is, is still the proverbial group horse in a handicap. He's drawn and stole 20. We'll find out early in the day, I think, whether whether a really high draw is a positive um, or not. I'm inclined to take him on with one who I think is guaranteed to run a decent race uh, and will appreciate the conditions and hopefully uh, will be well placed on the other side of the track. And that is Clon Cooley for David Barron. Um, David Barron, obviously, He's had Kinran uh, hitting the frame and all the big handicaps until that horse landed a massive punt um, at the last Ascot meeting uh, with the, when the ground turned soft. And Clon Cooley, although she has been um, uh, disappointing on, on recent starts, very disappointing indeed in actual fact, at um, the likes of uh, Pontefract, Goodwood, York and Newmarket, um, she was really well suited by the way the race panned out in the Royal Hunt Cup, came from a long way back to look the likeliest winner uh, late in the day, only to be beaten a nose. That was off a mark of 99 on soft ground. She has not had any ease in the ground at all since that. And although the handicapper pushed up a fair few pounds in the weights, she's right back down to that mark again. She races off 99 here. She's back on soft ground. She's drawn and stall one on the far side of the track, which might be the place to be. As I said, I think you, are, you want to be drawn on the extremes rather than up the middle with the, with the track split. Um, and hopefully she's got enough speed um, to chase on the far side there. She'll be coming from off the pace, so it's, it's not a case of having something that's speedy next to her. It's a case of finding enough horses who are going to go forward from, from single-figure stalls and stay there so, so that she's got something um, to really aim at in the closing stages um, because it doesn't really matter if she's cruising if it turns out that her side of the track are five lengths behind the other side. So hopefully the far side of the track wins the race and Clon Cooley is the one who picks them all up late in the day. I'm liking that. I am liking the selection of Clon Cooley. Follow that one up for me, please. Steve Jones. Yeah, I, I, I quite like her as well. I think she's got a great chance. with. It. I don't like horses that are drawn right out on the wing, so store one was a bit disappointing. But uh, I think part of the reason to like her as well is Jamie Spencer, who I think is, rides the straight course at Ascot better than anyone. I think he's fantastic over it. And that form, if you go back to the Royal Hunt Cup, beaten and nose is as good as anything in there, bar Lord North. And uh, 
as Rory said, excuses for the races since and goes on the soft ground like Saskat. Got got an awful lot going for us. So, um, yeah, Cloncooley. I think Escobar, who was second in the race last year, has got a big race. And I, don't, I hate those colours. Those dark <laughs> Do you? I hate them. I, I just... They just look horrible. I don't know if it's the colours in them, but they just look rubbish. I like and, them. Uh, I, do I, I do, because I think they're just so different. I don't different. like any of those new colours, to be honest. I think they're just... They're dreadful, aren't they, as a rule? I'm not talking about these particularly. But the, one, the ones that the... Because um, they, they didn't just let people design their own silks. They got some idiot to design silks and then say, you can buy these for 10 grand if you like. And I go, why would I buy that? It's hideous. <laughs> I think they're the same person designed those Magnolia cup colours, don't they? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Jesus. I, I like the fact that you just, like, slated whoever it is designing these colours. Some idiot designed these colours. Oh, well, I've gone, have, you seen, have you seen the, the state of the colours? But it's, it's, like, it's like my five-year-old won a competition, <laughs> and that's what they came up with. <laughs> Except, in fairness, he would do better. He's a genius. Well, put them forward. If, if it's going to be 10K yeah. a, a, a pop for the silks, put them forward. Put them forward with a Microsoft Paint design, and who knows? Could make an absolute fortune. Um, I've got one for this, lads. I've got another reverse forecast for us, but I've got the, I've got the winner. Lord. I've got the winner. Rory, can you, can you think, if you look at the card, can you guess who it is I'm backing? Uh, I've got to check the colours here, right? Uh, just looking for pretty colours that uh, that Emmett likes. No. Deedly, deedly, deedly. no. It's not pretty colours. It's not the horse that you mispronounced earlier on. Uh, Armando Mugdiliani. Yeah. Uh, what are you liking here? I don't know. I don't know. You should. I'm thinking too hard. I like a horse who has had a decent comeback earlier this year when he was uh, tilting at windmills running in a group two in Goodwood he's been dropped three pounds by the handicapper and has probably been trained for the race and that is Mr. Tony Bloom's Flaming Spear Flaming Spear this is the day gentlemen I couldn't find that because you know you know when um on certain sides, where you can you can click the little X next to the horse's name to, to get it off your screen so you don't get put off by it. <laughs> wow, a good old flaming figure. You're just like, nah. nah. Yeah, he's probably going to be punted off the boards again, isn't he? More than likely, yeah, more than likely. Uh, 20s, currently available. 20s is too big. But um cool. If, if the first two Bloom horses win, I'd love to see what price Flaming Spear goes off at. Seven to one. No, the first two win. Yeah. It's like, Flaming Spears now six to four favourite for the final. Oh, Jesus, probably you're right, actually, yeah. Um, actually, wasn't I saw a story earlier on that really alarmed me. And uh, it was to do with bookmakers panicking about multiple bets on Champions Day again. I was like, come on. We're not having this conversation again, are we? I, I thought we'd got past this. That... Um, you know that the things were. I was actually talking to a, a bookmaker's yeah, rep. Yeah, we didn't get past it. There was no getting past it. It was just a no one. No one got their head around it at the time, did they? And then everyone got bored of it, and it wasn't an issue anymore because it all, it only comes into play for the very biggest meetings. It's when once a year punters come out and they've only heard of one jockey. La- layers wary of Frankie de Tory rampage on Ascot Champions Day. Yeah, just it, it makes for rubbish headlines. But in fairness, that there there is a. 
there's more than a kernel of truth about it. Um, but you got to the stage now um, with with online liabilities that it's always going to be only Frankie de Tory um, at at the very biggest meetings of the season. So Royal Ascot. Um, I don't think it was even really an issue of Corey's Goodwood, maybe Champions Day, but it was on ITV and Frankie's riding and there are six races and he's got, he's got rides in them all. Then you get a disproportionate number of people who have um, big multiples, you know, for small stakes, but on all his mounts. Mm. Um, and so it would be true that if all the horses won, even the biggest bookmaker in the world would not be able to pay out. So it actually does make sense for them to restrict stakes because otherwise what, what bookmakers have traditionally done is say, it's never going to happen, so don't worry about it. And then you've got the Magnificent Seven, um, which puts literally thousands of bookmakers in the UK out of business. Um, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yes, so- no, but that's the thing. That, but in order, in order to, to deal with it, you actually have to split it up a little bit so that people can't win... A million pound each. You can't have two thousand once a year punters all winning a million pounds. Well, I'd like. You know, that. It's, like every, it's like everyone picking the same numbers in the lottery. You can't guarantee everyone. You know, the winner of the lottery was is definitely everyone who wins the lottery is definitely winning a million pounds this week. And then one, two, three, four, five, and six come out. And every surprise, how many people just choose those numbers? Um, so yeah, you, so it, it does make sense. There's no, there's no point talking about people not having the guts to lay a bet. It, it's just that bizarre scenario um, that you actually will have um, a ridiculous number of people, all with like 50p accumulators on Frankie Tory on really competitive races, which could pay absolute fortunes. And if you do have that, then suddenly you've got a you know what do they what do they call those events? A once in a lifetime event. Well, you're not quite, but there's a there's a specific term for, you know, like the, the old Y2K, um, but you know something that that just smashes the system. Well, I tell you what, gentlemen, as we've been discussing this, I've decided to do a little bit of uh, a small small amount of research here, right? So, if you pick a random bookmaker, and if you go online with your bookmaker of choice, and you currently do a 5 euro accumulator. Let's say a 10 euro accumulator, actually, right? Let's just, let's just go, go for it. So a 10 euro accumulator, or 10 pounds accumulator, on Frankie de Tori's mounts on Saturday, and he's got a number that are fancied, pays 30k, just over 30k. A 50 cent lucky 63, or lucky 69, as Rory and Kevin like to call them, seven thousand two hundred and eighteen euro and twenty five cents, and you can probably do it now, but on the day, you probably won't be able to. So if it's going to happen, do it now. Final Furlong Podcast <laughs> listeners, unite! All of us unite. Do like a ten cent, do like a, a five pound accumulator, a ten cent lucky sixty three, uh, ten. 20p lucky 63 all of us unite let's just do it and let's see if we can cause utter chaos if it does happen he's probably not going to happen we might get a little bit of money back but let's just see let's just like joker let's just be agents of chaos and and see how things go uh your best bet for the day mr kennedy you managed you had a hundred pound accumulator on all the winners on Champions Day, you should have got paid thirty-five million pounds. As it is, you've got nothing. But 
you sowed a little bit of chaos, so you're a happy man. But but instead you got mi- <laughs> minus 33 quid and you managed to bankrupt uh, half the bookmaking industry. So congratulations, well done on that. Uh, that that has not worked in your favor at all. But hey, I can just do a joker laugh and like, be an agent of chaos. Uh, Steve Jones, your best bet for Champions Day, my friend. Ooh, good question. Um, oh, it's so long ago, Emma, that we started talking about it. It's certainly not going to be in the cup. I would probably go with Coronet. Coronet in the champion stakes is Steve Jones' best bet of the day. Rory Delargy. Oh, I could be very cheeky and just just go for the each way bet on that and Kew Gardens, but I won't do that. I'll be adventurous and I will go for Labrisa Breeze at 20 to 1 in a place, but we'll call it 16. Easily. Easily. Yeah, 16 is everywhere, but 20 is in one place. Okay. Um, but 16 will be, it'll be uh, good enough for that. Okay, so Labrisa Breeze, um, which means I'll go Q Gardens each way. <laughs> no. Um, I will go for Magna Grisha in the QE2. Uh, so you've got yourself a patent there and uh, and hopefully it'll pay off and hopefully we'll be in the gravy you'll notice that uh, ryan moore is not available the reason being steve is that he's gone down under to ride 10 sovereigns in the everest which is worth about a billion dollars um you were in australia last year to go on a brief tangent uh about the atmosphere at racing so you had the honor of seeing al winksy uh, for the Cox Plate as she made history. That must have been some experience. It was. It was fantastic. When all the talk of the form of the Winx's wins and all that, it's irrelevant when you actually witness what it meant to the people who go racing in Australia. The atmosphere there was like nothing I've ever experienced at any sporting event. Uh, it was just phenomenal. You looked up at the... the uh, stands and Mooney Valley is very sharp. It's not unlike Chester, but with a short straight, would you believe? And so the stands go a long way back, almost like football stands, rather than going up uh, because the the running's less than a furlong. The stands can't physically be like they are at Ascot or something somewhere like that. So they went all the way back, and you looked up, and it was just a sea of blue with hats jackets even would you believe and when i walked into the uh into mooney valley on cox plate day they were they were queuing right round for something and you think oh god they're either queuing for the toilets or food or something or the bar or it, it's it's exactly like it is in britain but no when you got to the front of the queue they were queuing to buy winks memorabilia that's unreal that's unreal because you hear stories about the americans placing a bet on the tote on a horse for the Triple Crown or, or Breeders' Cup Classic, and they don't cash it in. They keep it, and they frame it. Um, That's very similar to what the, the Japanese were doing with the affair, wasn't it? Yes, yes, and, and Deep Impact. That's why they go off um, on, on the Paris Mutual at, at crazy prices. Yeah, they just... I, I was for the, um, there at Longchamp for Deep Impact Arc, which sadly wasn't Deep Impact Arc in the end, when he was 1 to 10. Um, with a minute to go before the race, unbelievable. Because it was just they were just Japanese queuing up from about nine in the morning, um, thirty deep to to place their their small bets on them, which no doubt they weren't planning to collect, just take home and frame. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just it was just a queue all day to to back Deep Impact. Most of the people there seemed to be Japanese, 
uh, and the atmosphere was was unlike any other arc um, you can imagine. Um, and I can't I can't imagine what it, what it would have been like if um, uh, if he'd been at his best on the day because I don't think it was a tremendous arc. I mean, he finished third in the end. And Rory, you were talking off air just before Kevin kind of gave a little bit of an insight into the podcast beforehand that we have a conversation before we hit the record button uh, about the atmosphere on courses and there's a lot of conversations in Ireland and in the UK and, and indeed in France as well as to how you improve attendances and how you improve the race course experience. Winx was never a big hit for Kevin and I on the show and, and indeed Ald Winxie became the, the the nickname for her. We never quite embraced her. It was just because she didn't travel. But when you hear Steve talk about the impact that she had on Australian racing, you can't not but respect that. The fact that there were so many people there cheering her on we kind of have that effect with Enable to a certain extent and the fact that she's coming back as a six-year-old and the reaction that that's gotten from racing fans is, is huge. There has to be different things that the racing authorities do to make us feel more attached to the sport than they're doing already. Yeah, well, the, the problem you have um, at the moment, and, and you can't really blame race courses for it, um, it's, race courses are their own entities in terms of, of, of running businesses. Obviously, some of them are run under Jockey Club Race Courses banner and, and Arena Racing and all the rest of it. Um, but fundamentally, they're their own businesses and they need to get people through the doors. And the way you get people through the doors, get bums on seats, is to put on something to entertain people other than horse racing. Uh, so you put on, you know, you, you you tell people about what a great day out it is and you can ha- you can be with your mates and all your favorite drinks are available or you can have um, entertainment before or after racing and you can do lots of different themed things to get people there. But you're not getting people there for racing and you're you're potentially damaging um, your brand, uh, you know. As far as race courses are concerned, the primary draw is always going to be the horse. Um, and although you're not going to maximise the number of people who come by promoting the purely the horse and making the, the racehorse the centre of every single racing day, but you're going to make it easier for true fans of racing and horse lovers to go racing and enjoy that. And those are the people who are going to become passionate about the sports. Whereas the people you draw in for, for races who go, oh, well, rather than going to the pub, let's go to the races and do what we would have done in the open air. Um, those people will go wherever someone you know can attract them with a package. They're not interested in horse racing as such. They're interested in a day out. Um, and, and, and we tend to be cynical and say, oh, they're just there for beer, beers and fights. Um, and we know that's just a very small minority. But it, it is the, it's the social scene people go for because that's the way racing has been marketed for the last 20 years in order to get crowds. But the most important thing isn't getting crowds, it's getting race fans. Yeah. And that might mean a small fall on the numbers in the first place, but it will see a growing uh, a growing of that base of people who are genuinely interested in racing. And it means you need to be able to see as much racing as you can. You need to be able to see the horses close up and understand them and see how the game works um, at first hand. You need to have access to an archive of horse racing without having to pay for it. And you need to be able to see live racing when you want without having to fork out fortunes to do so. And we have that completely arsed about face at the moment and we need to sort it out. 
Well, the um, the French, to be fair, uh, and I'll give them a mention again on the podcast. Steve and I were, were there for uh, the Grand Prix de Paris, and they were holding their hands up for the mess that they made of the arc the year before, and they made promises that they would not make those mistakes again. And according to Jane Mangan, it was nothing but a fantastic experience. So they lived up to the word. But one of the things they were saying, Steve, was that they, they had a, a big, massive French DJ Sorry, I'm not down with the kids anymore. I don't know who it was. But they had a, a huge concert after racing. And the, the deal was that if you came early, so if you came for the racing and were staying for the gig, then you got a 50% discount on the concert ticket. If you came halfway through, you were getting 25% off. If you came just for the concert, you had to pay full price. But while that did increase the numbers, there were a lot of people who were walking around while the Grand Prix de Paris were on, was on, who clearly had no interest in racing. Whereas if you go to the Curra on what essentially was Pat's Mullen Day, when you had Pinatubu putting up that extraordinary performance, which the only thing I can describe it as, it, it was Frankel-like. As he entered the final furlong, the whole crowd erupts into applause. That, that's racing fans. And it was mainly racing fans there because it's Irish Champions Weekend, but also it was a chance to see legends of the saddle come out one more time to support Pat Smullen. And, and so they went for that reason. And there must be a way that we can then attract pure racing fans and encourage them to come along because when you're at the racetrack for an experience like you had, Steve, with Winks, like Rory had with Deep Impact getting beaten in the arc, like I had the other day at the Curra, there's nothing like it when the whole place is buzzing and everyone, you don't know people but you're talking to them you all have this shared interest and it's it's fascinating and it's brilliant and there's enough fans there it's just a matter of appealing to them in the right way yeah absolutely and it's a difficult blend to get right because at the end of the day to become an actual race fan you've got to be introduced to the sport and that's proving hard if it's going to be coming through the, the concerts, you've got to accept that the vast majority won't ever come to races for the actual horses. Mm. But some might. If you only get 5% of a 20,000 pound, a 20,000 strong crowd, then that's quite significant if you can do that. But whether that is being achieved, I'm, I'm not so sure. But it's it's a difficult one because going back to Mooney Valley and the Cox Plate, it was pretty obvious that a vast uh, majority of the crowd were under, say, 30. And that was a different atmosphere. Why it was probably a dis different atmosphere from the, the Melbourne Cup itself. So it's difficult over here because it is suggested that anyone under 30 must be going for, as Rory said, a, a few beers and a punch-up. But... Um, it's we've got to do something to try and attract people to the races for the first time and hope that they enjoy that. But if you're doing it through a concert, then that is the big distraction. Yeah. Why they're there and are they going to go back and enjoy it when there's no concert on? So it's a tricky one. And I understand that there's marketing people who are involved and they're trying to do the right thing. And I think Leopardstown have done a very good job with putting music on after racing, which kind of counteracts my, my argument. But ultimately, it's about the sport. I will say that looking at the analytics, and we've been taking a very close look at the analytics of the Final Furlong podcast recently, the 
age group of listenership is so wide. Like you're talking about 18 to 24 year olds. There's a there's a massive amount of 18 to 24 year olds listen to the show. There's a huge amount of 25 to to 34 year olds. There's a huge amount of 34 to 70 year olds, 80 year olds who listen to the show. Racing can appeal to all ages, and and the, looking at the analytics of the final furlong proves that to me. So um, yeah, hopefully they make the right decisions. We've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but I think it was worth it was worth mentioning, particularly when we've got one of the biggest days racing of the year coming up. Steve Jones will see your work on Saturday as part of the being a Unibet ambassador. Congratulations on that role uh, and your work in the mirror as well. So the best of luck with all that, my friend. Thank you. Uh, Roy DeLarge, you will be on at the races again very, very soon. Obviously, the Irish field, too, and plenty more places as well. And back in the final forum podcast very, very soon. Uh, yes, I, I, I hope to have something published on at the races this weekend um, on the great Brigadier Gerard. Oh, fantastic. Will, uh, will come about. You've teased this a few times, so I'm looking forward to reading that. But, but hopefully Brigadier Gerard will be up um, uh, this weekend if they can squeeze all the words in. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Uh, looking forward to reading that. There is gold content available for you on attheraces.com for Champions Day, so make sure you check all of that out. And we're back with you on Monday. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. From Steve Jones, Rory DeLarge, and myself, Emma Kennedy, appreciate you listening. Have a great weekend. Hopefully there's lots of gravy on the way. Good luck. Have you downloaded the free At The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.